In July last year, a very public scandal erupted in the normally quite closed world of Irish dancing. Twelve teachers and judges in Ireland and overseas were accused of fixing competitions, as Irish Times reporter Shauna Bowers explains. They are accused of trying to persuade judges to look favourably upon their students. Now, this is at the highest level of Irish dance, so world champions. So this isn't, you know, the six and seven-year-olds learning their one, two, threes in the school hall. This is really serious, high-level sport. That number has since crept up to 44. All are now facing ongoing disciplinary hearings by On Commission Lurinka Gaelica, or the CLRG, the oldest and largest governing body for competitive Irish dancing. The story has made the headlines from New York to Australia and places where there are large Irish communities. The scandal has raised concerns about the reputation of Irish dancing and how it will be perceived around the world. Over a year has passed since the scandal first emerged and the CLRG has never spoken publicly about it until now. I can assure you that all 44 will have their day in court. The Commission is adamant that we're going to pursue each and every one of these cases. In an exclusive interview for the Irish Times, Shauna Bowers spoke to Sandra Connock, the new chairperson of the Global Dance Organisation, who was appointed back in May. I think the majority of the people are very, very good. Once things like that happen and you have, you know, several people involved, you have to look at what's wrong with the system. Maybe there's something wrong with the system that allows for this type of behaviour. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the fesh fixing scandal that rocked Irish dancing. Shauna, you were an Irish dancer. What did it mean to you growing up? Yeah, so I kind of come from an Irish dancing family in that my nanny on my dad's side taught it, all her daughters did it, and they were very competitive, very serious. You know, they'd have the dresses, the hair would be permed, they'd go to the fesh all the time. Um, And I loved it. I got my first taste of it when I was in primary school, as did many young people. Um, And I wanted to be cool like all my aunties, so I decided then to pursue it as a hobby. Um, And I did it until I was probably about... 14 or 15 but at that point it was taking that competitive turn you know my teacher wanted me to do feshna we were performing at weddings and the weddings weren't over until 2 a.m my mom was like you're 13 years old you can't be staying out till 2 a.m every weekend um so eventually I did decide to hang up the palms but um yeah no it, it was a huge part of growing up and kind of is sad to see um it being degraded in the way that it has been in light of these allegations Now, the allegations involve some teachers. What are they accused of? Yeah, so they are accused of trying to persuade judges to look favourably upon their students. Now, this is at the highest level of Irish dance, so world champions. So this isn't, you know, the six and seven-year-olds learning their one, two, threes in the school hall. This is really serious, high-level sport. And basically, they want their dancers to be the winners. So they're requesting judges to kind of look favourably towards certain dancers, you know, maybe give them a higher mark. They'd identify them based on their number or on the outfit, the colour of the outfit they would wear, trying to convince the judges and the adjudicators on the panel to choose their dancers as the winner. And the accusations also include some 
judges, what are they being accused of? They're being accused of acquiescing to the requests of the teachers. Um, you could see in some of the text messages provided to the High Court, they were purportedly saying, yep, yeah, no problem, I'll look out for that person and things like that. So that's their angle in this. Now, what did these people, the judges, the, the teachers trying to, to, to fix uh, the competition, what do they stand to gain? Becoming world champion is a huge accolade. You know, it's the highest level of Irish dance that exists. If you're crowned the champion, you can go no further. It's enormous. And for the teachers then, they can say, oh, this world champion learned at my school. I can teach your child or your teenager or your whoever uh, to that same level. So it just, it heightens their school and their um, perceived prominence in the industry. Now, there were also allegations, as you mentioned, of sexual impropriety. And, uh, you know, look, I suppose when you hear of that in a youth-serving organisation, your antenna goes up. But but these accusations involving sexual impropriety are entirely different. They they involve the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in one exchange between two male teachers who also do act as judges, um, one of the teachers offered to pleasure the male male judge if they assisted the other male teacher um, in this regard. Shauna, how was this fesh fixing scandal unearthed? So a dossier of what appeared to be messages between teachers and judges was handed in to the CLRG in the summer of 2022. Now, the allegations do relate to 2019, but um, were only uh, handed in to the body last year. Then later that year, in October, the dossier and the messages were leaked online, and that's how it became public knowledge and how the media became aware of the allegations. And did the CLRG, the commission, did they... Have they said who sent in this dossier of of WhatsApp messages? No, they haven't. And confidentiality is quite important to them. They say they are adamant that it wasn't them who leaked the information and take it very seriously that it was made public because they do, they say, want people to feel confident coming forth with information to them. The reasons why the idea of fesh fixing is so painful for parents and for competitors to hear about, you know, obviously centres on hopes and dreams. You know, uh, competitors at this level, at the high levels, they're highly trained, they're highly disciplined, they're athletes. Um, But there's a huge financial element too. Being involved in Irish dancing at a high level is a very expensive business. It's a huge commitment. If you even look outside of the finances for one second, your training three, four, five times a week. You have to go to the gym. You have to eat certain ways. The hours are long. You know, a lot of people are doing it on top of full-time jobs or college or school. It's a huge commitment for both the competitors, but also they start so young that it's also a huge commitment for the full family. The parents are almost demented with another fesh, have more training, et cetera, et cetera. But the cost is enormous too. You know, each fesh has... um, fees that a competitor or the school would have to pay to enter. Then if you're a female dancer, you have a dress that costs 
thousands of euro if you want top notch. A lot of the time you have to wear tan, you have to wear makeup, you need wigs, which are also hugely expensive. And the same applies to men, although they may not be wearing dresses and wigs, their their attire is also hugely expensive. And then, of course, you have the shoes, you have the soft shoes, the hard rally shoes as well. And all of it really does add up, especially if you're factoring in, if you have to travel to these competitions, you've uh, like maybe it's mileage or flights or whatever and then you've hotel accommodation food so it really does add up very quickly now I know that the the dresses get a huge amount of attention I mean of course because I think before this this fesh fixing uh, emerged that was the focus wasn't it on any criticism on Irish dancing it was that it become Americanized it was like an American pageant and everybody's taking pot shots at at, at the dresses and the wigs and the tan and so on. And it does seem, it seemed a particularly American influence. But of course, what it does for the the ordinary dancer is just adds to the expense. Yeah, it actually, it kind of causes a problem because it makes it elitist in a certain way. It means those individuals who could be really uh, talented or really interested in trying it, if they're from, you know, a working class background, it's just financially not viable to get involved because you reach a certain level. And then if you're not able to compete, your teacher kind of doesn't really care about you because she or he has competitors that she, she or he feels deserves more attention. Coming up, how the CLRG plans to stomp out fesh fixing. I'll continue my conversation with Shauna Bowers after this short break. For the first time since the scandal broke, and this is is why we're talking, Sean, is because you got an interview with the new head of the commission. Uh, she made herself available for interview. And this, I think, was particularly interesting because, as, as we've said before, it's quite a closed organisation. This woman called Sandra Connick. She's based in North Carolina, born in Cork, but living in America for years. And she's been involved for decades in Irish dancing. Why did she say she's she made herself available for interview? Well, I think they're trying to improve public relations. She's very confident, actually, that the reputation of Irish dance can be um, reco- can recover from the the trauma, I guess, that was inflicted upon it when the scandal broke. Um, she wants it to be a much more transparent organisation. Um, you know, she, she talked about how the 44 disciplinary hearings have begun, you know, they're proceeding. She's taken them very seriously. The whole organisation, she says, are taking it very seriously. So I think it's kind of their attempt to lift the curtain and show people that, you know, these allegations were made, but it was at the very high level. And there's so much more in her mind about Irish dance than just the scandal. I think the strongest thing out of Irish dancing is its sense of community. Do you know the friends that you make Irish dancing and the times that you have traveling and to shows and to festivals and even competition, they don't they remain with you as some of the best memories of your life. There was a review undertaken uh, for on Commission by SIA management consultants and is reported back this summer. Can we talk about its key findings? It, it had findings and it had recommendations. So first, can we just talk about the findings? I, I was intrigued by one line and it. it said, elements of the culture that no longer serve the organisation should be changed. What does that mean? So Sandra, even herself, she had taken a step away from the commission for a number of years. And the only reason she got back involved was when the allegations broke. And the reason, sorry, the reason she stepped 
stood back was she felt it was no longer serving the purpose it could, um, kind of felt it was stuck in olden times, things like that. Um, so she got back involved as the allegations broke, um, put herself forward for elections, chairperson was elected. And she's really trying to, you know, enact these changes that were highlighted. So another key element that was highlighted in that report was a lack of trust. Um, and that's something that she says she really wants to make moves on. And they say that they have begun to make these changes so that there is further trust in the competitions and the disciplinary hearings. We immediately, my predecessors immediately looked into, into themselves to say what is wrong that people feel the need to do this. So what we started doing was we, um, you, you know, typically at these large competitions, you would have three judges. We put in five judges now. You drop the highest score in case somebody got on like really off the cuff mark. We dropped the lowest score in case somebody, you know, felt, felt that they were being penalised severely. So we now take the three in the middle, you know, which gives you a, a fairer uh, playing field. We also stopped publishing the numbers ahead of time in the programme book. So the competitors only picked their number up in the 45 minutes leading up to the beginning of the competition. So the numbers now are unknown. The judges now are sequestered in these events, which means they don't mix with the public. They don't mix with the teachers. You know, they they, they stay um, segregated to their to themselves, et cetera, et cetera. They have to sign off on the results. So there's a lot of changes that have been made by looking inwards at ourselves. That's Sandra there. She's explaining changes uh, that are being made now after the review. And the sort of changes, I suppose, that's going to be visible to parents and competitors in the hall while these feshes are are going ahead. The scandal, of course, involves people winning when they shouldn't. Is this new plan transparent enough to win back trust, do you think? She certainly thinks so. You know, further to what she said in that clip, um, judges also aren't allowed to have phones on them. They have to be left in the hotels and then they're not allowed to return to the hotel room until the day of judging is done. They've signed off on the scores that they've issued. They're now being sequestered from other people, as in members of the public or teachers, so that they can't have those casual conversations of, oh, look out for my, my student and things like that. So... Changes have definitely been made. I guess the only way to tell whether they're effective is time. So there are disciplinary hearings involving 44 people. What do those hearings look like? Who conducts them? And also then, what's the sanction? What's at stake? Yeah, so originally the allegation centred on 12 individuals and then upon further investigation it swelled to 44. Uh, the disciplinary hearings began during the summer. Uh, some have been concluded, but CLRG have said they're not going to disclose the outcome of those hearings until all 44 have concluded. Um, a further 10 books of evidence have also been served, so it's kind of envisaged that early next year the ball will really get going. They'll work their way through the hearings quite um, speedily. Um, so largely the individuals have been charged with uh, gross misconduct. And there are various different penalisations if those individuals are found guilty. They could face financial fine, they could lose their position, they could be prevented from seeking election. Um, But it all does depend on how the independent panel decides to impose any punishment if, if an individual is found guilty. 
Well, all that sounds kind of nearly procedural, you know, in terms of what might happen. Is there a case that somebody might be thrown out of of the commission? They they might be told, no, you you can't dance, you can't teach under this code anymore. That's it. In which case, it could be somebody's livelihood gone. Is that at stake? I guess it really depends on what the independent panel decides. Um, If they feel that that's befitting of any crime, then I couldn't see why that wouldn't be an option to them. But we really would have to wait and see um, as to how the hearings go and what, what verdicts are issued. I thought it was telling that the Commission, it published its annual accounts there for last year in October there. And it posted a million euro loss. And that's arising from provisions it's having to make for the legal and professional services to deal with allegations of, of wrongdoing. Sander didn't talk about that. And when you talked about sort of the reputational damage, she seemed sort of homespun, if you like, in her response. And that she said, look, you know, look around, look at this, that, that all that was only at the very, very highest level. Look around every, every night of the week there in the local parish hall, there's dancing going on in the schools, children having fun, having classes, low level, low stakes that it's a very wholesome, uh, a very successful organisation. But look, there is reputational damage. Can that recover? I guess it depends. You know, we as a people tend to have very short-term memory and it could just become a funny anecdote of, do you remember that time this emerged, hardy har har? Or it could be a very different situation where people are less inclined to get their children involved because even if they work hard, they could be deprived of a a win because someone has said something to someone else. But I, I do think the seriousness with which the organisation are taking the allegations will probably aid them. You know, going independent for that report, going through the disciplinary process, um, doing things by the book insofar as they can. I think all of that will aid things. Even the changes they've made to the adjudication process will provide some assurances for those who want to get involved or are currently involved. And as Sandra said herself, uh, teacher registrations didn't drop at all between the time that the scandal emerged and now. So I think that is a good indication that um, Irish dancing is one of those things that when you're in it you're often in it for life and if you love something you love it even with its faults so maybe maybe you can uh, move on past this. It was interesting she drew a parallel with the crisis that affected gymnastics in America. Um, I think probably on this side of Atlantic we're not so aware of that as much but clearly you know she lives in North Carolina she, she, she lives in America she's highly aware of all that. Did you find that parallel interesting? I did. And you know what? She's not incorrect in that most high level major sports have some um, scandal that emerges, you know, whether it's doping or sexual impropriety or cheating. And a lot of those organisations or sports do recover because at the end of the day, it's only a handful of people in a much broader, broader uh, arena. And you couldn't see gymnastics dying off because of Uh, things that happen there and I think the same is probably applied to Irish dancing Thanks very much Shona That's it for today For more Irish Times journalism and reporting from Shona Bowers subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe I'm Bernice Harrison This episode is produced by Suzanne Brennan and Declan Conlon In the news we'll be back tomorrow Tomorrow